Today's scripture reading is from Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. Again, that's Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in the chair in front of you and open it to page 938. 938. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Worship God with you. Uh, just before I go, get into the message, I wanted to remind you that if you are coming here for our Christmas Day service on Friday, it's going to start at 11 a.m., but 20 minutes prior to the service, so at 10.40 a.m., we're going to have three sisters come early and present a string trio. It's very exciting. I believe there's two cellists and one violinist coming and giving us some good stuff for Christmas. So before, I invite you to come 30, 30 minutes early, come and enjoy the string trio, and uh, we can worship God on Christmas Day together on Friday. Again, you do have to RSVP uh, via the website at uh, cgsnj.org slash Christmas service, right? Okay, let's start with a prayer. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's an interesting Christmas season this year, to say the least, right? And I am sincerely thankful that we are still able to gather and worship. And for those that couldn't physically join us, join us online. Uh, many of you won't be gathering with extended family this year. And even though this isn't a permanent situation, it doesn't mean that we're still not a little saddened that it will be difficult for some of us, maybe a lot of us, but especially for our elder folk. Uh, <clears throat> I remember one of our elders praying for a vaccine to arrive quickly a few months ago, and indeed it has, and so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I did try to reflect and think about how Christmases were kind of celebrated or uh, were passed in history. And of course, many of you know some famous Christmas Day events, like in 1776, Christmas evening was when General George Washington would cross the Delaware River into Trenton, New Jersey, where the colonial forces won a surprise victory, right? It was a gamble because George Washington had gambled that 
the enemy forces will be still incapacitated or inebriated from the festivities of that night. And indeed they were. And so that was on Christmas. On a bizarre Christmas also during World War I in 1914, in the middle of the war, uh, British, French, and German troops, where they were fighting together, they would temporarily hold a holiday ceasefire. And it happened where one side started to sing a Christmas hymn, and then the other side heard it, and they responded with another Christmas hymn until they just got up, like they stopped shooting each other. They got up, went into uh, the middle of the territory, and shook hands with each other. This led to them sharing their drinks, cigarettes, and even started to exchange Christmas gifts of sorts. And it's reported that they even played a pickup game of soccer. Uh, it's an un, it was an unsanctioned truce, so no, that means no officers on either side okayed it. So the fighting resumed shortly after. But this event in World War I is famously known as the Christmas Truce. There's a lot of things that we remember over the Christmases of our past, isn't there? And if I go, what happened in the Christmases of your past, you probably would start to uh, remember some images that you've had with family or friends or the church. And the holiday of Christmas has been celebrated for well over a thousand years. Some records going all the way back to even the year 200. And we have celebrated, Christians have celebrated on Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why it's important. That's why it's significant that all these things, when it happens on Christmas Day, that has an extra special meaning because Christmas itself is important. I asked the staff in a podcast that I hosted as a guest, uh, which holiday do you like better? Christmas or Easter, and all three of them said they like Christmas better. To which I said that Christmas wouldn't matter without Easter. And while they agreed, they're like, okay, I guess you're right, they, they still said they like Christmas. And all of this is archived in our podcast. So they were, they were saying, forget logic, I still want to pick, pick this holiday, right? But of course, this is a trick question. Uh, while it's true Christmas wouldn't be significant without Easter, you wouldn't have Easter without Christmas in the first place. Which is why these two significant dates have been passed down to us. Many in the early church are believed to have celebrated the Annunciation. The Annunciation is a day that people would celebrate remembering the time the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced that she would be with child through the Holy Spirit. They believe the Annunciation is on March 25th or the day Nisan 14, if you're going by the biblical calendar. Nisan 15 is when Passover starts. So you can start seeing the calendar happen. Um, it also happens to fall on Good Friday or, and nine months later from the Annunciation. So nine months after March 25th or Nisan 14 or the right before Passover, we have December 25th, Christmas. 
So the Christian calendar went, went round yearly in this manner. And I've heard many argue that Christmas really was just a holiday that took over the Roman holiday, Saturnalia, or um, the winter solstice, Sol Invictus, right? Around the 300s, solidified by Constantine on 366. But I would like to respond to that. Both could be true. Both could be true, right? It doesn't mean one is true and not the other. And both could be true because we do have a record of a national holiday being Christmas from Constantine in 336. But Christmas is special because this is the time, this is the season when light enters the world, as it says in John 3.19. Light would enter the world. And it's, I think it's quite poignant that it's celebrated during the winter solstice too, at least for us in the northern hemisphere. But people need a light in a dark place. People need Christmas in 2020. I really, truly believe that. But why do you need light? Why is there such a need for good? You know, in history, most of the world had always thought that there were just two powerful forces at work, evil versus good, right? And it's depicted in the stories we read, movies we watch, evil versus good, the good guy versus the bad guy. And every one of these stories and movies, they're trying to make sense of what is good and what is evil. They're trying to make sense of good versus evil. We have mythical gods depicted that are manifestations of one or the other, sometimes both, but these myths were created to give solace to the follower of the, or the believer of these myths. But for the Christian, we believe that there is one God, and He is good. We believe there is one God, and He is good. And that means evil is no match for Him, right? Evil is no match for God, who is all-powerful and good. But if God is all-powerful and God is good, then how can evil exist? And this question has plagued theologians or people that would try to come up with an answer. And then just around the year uh, in the 300s, uh, St. Augustine would come up with an idea, and that would later be dubbed as the privatio boni, um, some of you have asked me how you pronounce St. Augustine or Augustine, and I'm going to tell you what the correct pronunciation is. It's Augustine. Okay, the correct pronunciation is Augustine. Uh, my school taught me this way. They corrected me whenever I said Augustine. And so I want to tell you that the correct pronunciation for his name is Augustine. Anyway, St. Augustine will come up with an idea that will be later dubbed as the privatio boni, or the privation of good. So when facing the problem of evil, Augustine would write in his confessions this, he would say this in, in his confessions, book number eight, this alone I know. Without you, and he's talking to God, and he's praying to God, without you it is evil for me. 
not only in external things, but within my being and with all my abundance, which is other than my God, is mere indigence, which is poverty. It's just nothingness, right? And I believe that it is from this idea, from the confessions, that he further develops into the Privatio Boni. In the city of God, he would write, For evil has no positive nature, but the loss of good has received the name evil. So now you see, even in the 300s, this genius, this brilliant man, St. Augustine, is writing about if there is a good God, and he is all-powerful, how can there be evil in the world? And he is saying these things in his confessions, in his meditations, in his writings, and finally, later on in his life, in his Enchiridion, which it just means handbook, but in his Enchiridion, uh, he would write this, for what, that it, for what is that which we call evil but the absence of good? For what is that which is evil but the absence of good? And he would go on to explain, if you have a disease, it's the absence of health. It means the flesh itself, there's something missing in it. That's why there is disease. Therefore, something good of which those evils, these are this privations of the good, which we call health, are not, right? And so if you don't have health, then you have disease. It's the absence of good. And he would say that without the healthy soul, there is nowhere else it can exist. And evil, as he would explain it, evil then is the absence of good. People have taken this philosophy and developed on it, saying darkness then is the absence of light, right? Most recently, uh, a contemporary philosopher, a metaphysicist, um, metaphysician, I should say, uh, Bertrand Russell, He's a notable contemporary philosopher. He's known for many works in philosophy, epistemology, even mathematics. Atheists elevate him because of his work. Uh, he wrote this book called Why I Am Not a Christian. Anyway, Bertrand Russell uh, criticized this particular doctrine, the Privatio Boni, right? He criticized this doctrine in his essay, The Elements of Ethics, and he wrote this. The belief that, as a matter of fact, nothing that exists as evil is one which no one would advocate except a metaphysician defending a theory. Pain and hatred and envy and cruelty are surely things that exist and are not merely the absence of their opposites, but the theory should hold that they are indistinguishable from the blank unconsciousness of an oyster. And then he continues to go on explaining that this view is absurd because you can't say, and I'm going a little bit into the realm of philosophy, but you can't say that darkness doesn't exist uh, because light isn't there, or you can't say that pain and hatred and envy and cruelty are things that don't exist. Surely, surely you know that these things do exist. And surely I would respond that he has it right. He's right about there is an existence of pain, hatred, envy, and cruelty. It does exist. We're living in some of it. 
But here are my misgivings about his criticism. And I think this is where he gets it wrong. See, absence doesn't mean non-existence. In fact, by saying the absence of light being darkness would be actually showing an existence of such a thing. That's why I think Augustine had it right. Evil is the absence of good, but it doesn't mean the absence of God. Okay? Evil is the absence of good, but it doesn't mean the absence of God. The absence of good, the absence of favor, favor, the absence of light is what? The absence of good, the absence of favor, the absence of light is wrath. And this is why the world has and always will be confused. It doesn't know that we are in darkness, and to cure darkness, you can't cure darkness with more darkness. Racism isn't cured by more racial disparity. Poverty isn't solved by making others poor. The world has and will continue to struggle and to strive because there is only darkness. This is why Christmas is so pivotal for our world even today. In verse 3, we have read that for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, and other translations, it's lusts, right? Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. These things are the absence of good. Variations of this idea echo through many passages because they echo the same sentiment. The absence of good, the wrath of God being poured out, people who don't understand the light, who love the darkness, like in Romans 1, 28, verse, verse 28 to 32, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous degree, decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, it says, But understand this, that in the last days, and these are the last days, this means these are post-Messianic days, right? There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And we went over 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
verse 9 and 10, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When we are in darkness, there is no other solution that we have then more darkness because nothing else is at our disposal. When we reach around, there's nothing else that we can grab onto that is at our hands grip length-wise. Nothing else is at our disposal. But verse 4 goes on. But, but when the goodness, see, good, when the goodness and loving kindness, this, uh, this, this loving kindness is one word for affection, right? When the goodness and loving kindness or affection of God, our Savior, appeared. And appeared is from the Greek word epiphany, where we get the word epiphany. And it means to illuminate. That's why in cartoons you see when someone has an idea or an epiphany, a light bulb light up. But appeared is the word epiphany. And it says, but when the goodness... And the affection of God and Savior appeared. He saved us. This is the gospel. He saved us. This reflects that salvation is totally and completely the work of God. And this follows after we had no devices, no means, no power of our own that could save us. This is the independent, indomitable, infinite, sovereign will of God. This is why the gospel is such good news. Salvation, which was outside of us, no way we could grab onto it. There's only darkness. Salvation, which was outside of us, has come to us. He came to us. We were hopeless, dead in our trespasses and sins. We could do nothing, and yet he saved us. In verse 5, it says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And to reiterate the flip side of the verse, the Apostle Paul writes, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You know, these verses, many have said that you could spend a lifetime unpacking these verses because it's so rich in theology. And in a way, we are and we will because we will always come back to the gospel. What it is saying is there is no work that we could have done because any work that we do is corrupt and bankrupt. If we try to do it on our own, this is where even if you think you know Jesus Christ and you try to do it on your own, this is where we see Jesus himself say in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here is the sovereign will of God that is necessary. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you workers of lawlessness. It wasn't according to our works that we are saved. It's not our works that saves us, but according to His mercy. It wasn't according to our works, but according to His mercy. God withheld His full wrath in order that we might be able to receive His mercy. The word for mercy is eleos, which is different from grace or charis, right? And here is what John MacArthur says about mercy and grace. Grace relates to guilt. Mercy relates to misery. Grace relates to the state of the sinner before God the judge. Mercy relates to the condition of the sinner in his sin. Grace is a judicial concept that forgives the crime. Mercy is a compassionate concept that helps the criminal recover. Mercy looks at mercy, misery. Grace looks at guilt. And here, Paul is talking about misery. And he's saying that it, mercy, sorry. And he's saying it was God's mercy. It was not on the basis of deeds that we have done but is because of God's mercy. By grace we have been saved and given mercy. My friend, there is nothing you could do to earn, deserve, or even contribute to your salvation. Your rescue is by God alone. Even Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, when he talks about all his accomplishments, all the things that he has acquired, he considers it scubalon. It means rubbish. He considers all these things that he has amassed, his education, his wealth, his, um, his uh, level of social status, scubalon, rubbish, filth, manure, fecal matter. It's all scubalon when it comes to the righteousness that was given to him. Our best didn't just slightly miss the mark. Our best would miss it by an infinite chasm. And now it isn't our works that we depend on. It is the work of Christ, our Savior and Lord. I did not deserve mercy, but I was given it. I could not earn it, but it was earned for me. I could not merit it, but it was shown to me. And so now we are made into a new being, a new creation. Once evil, but now made good. Once in darkness, but now in the light. Formerly under wrath, but now under favor. And this was done by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that you can do to get the Holy Spirit on your own, but it was God who poured out His Holy Spirit on us. And it isn't just a leaky spigot's worth, right? It's not like it was just a few drips here and there. This favor that we have been given is full blast. It says, richly poured onto us by Jesus Christ. It was poured onto us that we might become. The word genomai is translated into three, three words, we might become. And it's not denoting a maybe. It's translated this way to show the conditional. And it means something like this. Because this is given to you, you will become heirs with Christ. This has been ordained by God. Why is the gospel such good news? Because through Christ, we have received something of infinite worth when what we actually deserved was the complete opposite. If we didn't deserve it, 
If we don't deserve this, then how did it happen? And here is what the gospel shows us. It was God's goodness and his affection toward us that he showed us mercy. He washed our sins. He gave us new life. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He graciously poured out his righteousness on us and made us heirs in future glory in heaven forever with him. Every other ideology, philosophy, religion falls short because there is nothing that you could do to earn. And yet the scriptures tell us that it is Christ who merited that favor for us. It is he who broke into the darkness. And it's Jesus who came and showed us what good actually is that we might now follow in its footsteps. There is no other ideology, philosophy, or religion that measures up to the gospel. I'll end with uh, one more story that happened on a Christmas, this time in 1968. You may be familiar with 1968, since many of you do like and enjoy history, but 1968 is considered to be one of the most turbulent and traumatic years in the 20th century. The beginning of the year, and mind you, just a few months before JFK had been assassinated in November 1967, but the beginning of the year started with the North Vietnamese attacking a marine base and a series of attacks and skirmishes happening, uh, leading to the massacre of Hue. Uh, the massacre of Hue in Vietnam was where uh, 6,000 Hue citizens were either clubbed to death or buried alive by the northern Vietnamese army. And that happened in the beginning of 1968 in January. In April, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated, which erupted uh, riots in the U.S. throughout the whole country ignited much social unrest. Two months later, Robert F. Kennedy would be assassinated, putting American politics in unrest as well. Eventually, Richard Nixon will win the the presidential race, but it was on Christmas of 1968 that Apollo 8 was hovering around the lunar surface. It was the first time humans left the Earth's gravitational pull is the first time humans were orbiting the moon, and they would beam back images of the moon and the earth at that distance. And um, back home, they would say, you could actually say something. There's something you should say. I'm like, what should we say? Imagine you're the first people to do this. You, are, you have gone where no one has ever gone before, and they're saying, you need to say something. What would you say in that situation? They were told that they would have the largest audience anyone in history ever had. And this was true. At least one out of four people at the time listened and heard this in the whole world. Listened and heard what they said. And then what should we do? And they they told them, like the three astronauts, just do something appropriate. And so this is what they said. And this is a transcript. And you can find this obviously online anywhere, but uh, this is what they said. We are now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. 
There's a brief pause. This is what they said. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the waters called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. You know, you might not have such a big audience, but there are still so many people that don't know the gospel. Many still wander in the darkness. This Christmas, perhaps the most significant gift that we can share is the good news of Christ. Christ came, as it says in Luke 179, Christ came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the most proper response we can have to this good news is worship. So my friends, the gospel is supreme because it is light broken into the darkness given to us, and we are now heirs with Christ for all eternity because of what Christ, well, of what God has done for us. Let us give the proper response to him who deserves all the glory. Let's pray. Let's take this time to pray and pray and reflect on the gospel that has been shown to us, the mercy that has been given to us, that we could respond well. And perhaps the Spirit is not just nudging you, but convicting you to share this incredible good news with the people that are around you, that need to hear this good news. For it is God who sends people out as missionaries, as evangelists, as his disciples to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's take this time to pray, reflect in thankfulness and gratefulness the gospel that we have been shown and also to pray for those that need to hear it in the circles that we are in, in our family and friends, those that we work with in our school play, in our school and everywhere we would go. Let's take this time to pray.